Morning, everyone. Uh, The reading this morning is from Genesis 2, uh, starting at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But the streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs through the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. G'day everybody, um, good to see you again. I recognise some faces here, it's not my first time at Trinity Church Golden Grove. I'm so glad to be back with you guys. Uh, around August uh, and September last year, as a church, you guys, um, along with Trinity Church at uh, Modbury and Paraka, we all went out and we asked our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues, what do you think is the biggest challenge that we're facing today? And I thought, the answer's obvious, isn't it? It's, surely it's got to be COVID. At that point, we'd, we'd recently just come out of a three-month lockdown. Uh, there was no vaccine on the horizon, and the, and the global death toll was tracking towards one million. Uh, recently, it's clicked over to two million. I thought, surely everyone thinks COVID, like this is the biggest challenge we're facing. Not true. There were, there, were, there were answers that were, that were more common than COVID. Last week we looked at one of them, uh, there's not enough love or respect. And today we're looking at another one, and it's this. The biggest challenge that we're facing is that the environment is suffering. And no matter which way you look at it, there are environmental challenges on the agenda today. See, 50 years ago, very few people would have thought of this as an issue. But now it's everywhere, right? We, we hear about it on the news all the time. It's a huge part of politics, especially in our country, in Australia. And, you know, just about every business today has some kind of a statement about how they are being environmentally friendly. I even found such a thing as the Green Bible. Uh, some of the verses in this Bible are written in green letters to highlight what the Bible has to say about the environment. At the back, it includes what it says is some inspirational essays on the environment, and presumably it's all printed on recycled paper, right? Or else that would kind of defeat the purpose. Environmental care is a hot topic for today. 
And the thing about this is it's not a single issue, is it? I mean, we most often hear about climate change, but there's so many other facets to this as well. It's the, the loss of our topsoil. It's the plastic in our oceans, animals becoming extinct. Some of our friends, in response to the question, they mentioned things like deforestation, a shortage of resources, overpopulation, and there's plenty more to it too. This is a big topic, friends. And there's a common theory out there that Christianity is to blame for a lot of the problems that we're having with the environment. This theory became popular through a man named Lynn White Jr. He published an essay in the 60s called The Historic Roots of Our Ecologic Crisis. Uh, And he put the blame, or at least a lot of the blame, at the feet of Christianity and the Bible. And it's been very influential. This kind of idea has, has, has crept into a lot of society's thinking. Today, though, we're just going to see two things. And here's the first. It goes completely against what Lynn White had to say. Here it is. If you don't care about the environment, you're out of step with God. If you don't care about the environment, you're out of step with God. This is really what we saw in that reading from Genesis 2. Uh, Genesis 2 presents us with the beginning of the world, and it's worth actually just us slowing down and noticing a few of the details here. We saw in verse 4, God is the maker. He is the creator, the one who put this all together. In verse 7, we saw that humanity was made by God. We are creatures of the creator. In verses 8 to 14, it pictures a a world that is good and beautiful. Just look at verse 9, for example. Verse 9, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of 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 the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. This is a this is a good place to live. It fits with what came in the chapter before, just at the end of chapter 1 in verse 31. It says that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And in this good world, God gives humans responsibility. We see that in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. You see that God gives the man a responsibility. And this isn't really just about one man in one garden at one time. As we read through the Bible, this is, this is the kind of thing we see that, that God does, that humanity is meant to care for the world, care for the environment. We do this under God. He still remains God over the world. It's not like he's abandoning his world. But God has given humanity a special place within his world. When I was a kid, they played an ad on TV encouraging us not to littering. Um, it's very corny. It was made in the 90s, so it's very corny. Um, but it's got a really catchy tune. And you might guess that it's going to come on the screen now. You want to watch it? It's very fun. Here we go. Hey, guys. I'm really anti-littering and anti-pollution. And I think that's largely because of this really catchy ad that I grew up with in the 90s. It was really hard to track this down and get a hold of this for you guys. But here it is now. Check it out. Oh, no, 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 no,
remember seeing that ad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's really catchy, isn't it? Um, I, I hadn't seen that ad for, I don't know how, 20 years or more, and I found it on YouTube, and then all throughout my head it's getting stuck, and you've got to do that. As a kid, you know, I saw this ad, and I was always waiting for a present, like a gift, because I didn't litter, and so I thought, you know, the, the song said, the planet's going to thank me, and, and I thought I was going to get a present, which just is bad kid logic, isn't it? Um, it did never happen. But it raises the question, why care for the environment? According to the ad, it's karma. You know the idea of karma, right? If you do good things, good things will come back on you. Or if you do bad things, then, well, you're bound to cop it. Uh, According to the ad, karma is the reason why we care for the environment. And, And sure, if we if we all treat the planet badly, naturally the consequences are going to be bad for us, but, but karma doesn't work. You ever notice that? Karma never works, because I might do all the right things, you know, I might put up solar panels on my roof, I might uh, ride to work or walk to work instead of taking the car, I might recycle, I might compost, I might do all the right things, but if I've got a neighbour up the hill and he keeps dumping chemicals on his lawn, when it rains it's all going to run down onto my property and I'm still going to suffer. Karma just doesn't work. We also don't care for the environment because it's some kind of God, as if Mother Nature is a a conscious being and that everything is connected and we've all got equal value and equal status and we've got to so we've got to respect everything in nature. So that's not it. According to the Bible, God tells us to care for the environment because of Him, because He made it. The, the, The trees, the dolphins, the the mountains, all of it, including actually me and you. God tells us to care for the environment because it is so good. And he tells us to care for it because he's actually given us responsibility. It's part of who we are before God. And so then there emerges a principle from the Bible, a principle. Our motivation to care for the environment is actually out of love for God. He's asked us to do it. And so it's an act of love for God that we follow through. Caring for the environment can also be an act of love for our neighbour. That's certainly true. The better it is, the better the world is, the easier it is for for everyone to live in. But I think the primary way the Bible talks about this is that we do this as an act of love for God. That's the overarching principle the Bible gives us. So in a moment, I want to think about what that looks like in practice. But just first, I, I think there are there are two dangers we can fall into when we talk about this. The first danger is to think that we can do anything. 
If we just kind of pull together collectively as humanity, if we all just do our bit, we can change the world, we can do anything we want. And I think this is a dangerous idea because it forgets that as humans we are limited. Right? We're limited creatures. We don't control everything. And so when there's a drought, we can't just send rain. Or, or when the land is shaking, we can't just stop the earthquake. See, no matter how good our environmental practices are, these kind of disasters keep happening. So we need to remember our limited nature. And what the Bible would say is, the Bible would call on us to pray to God who is not limited in the ways that we are. Of course, there's a second danger as well. And the second danger is that we do nothing. We think that the problem is just too big. There's nothing I do will ever make a difference. So it just doesn't matter. What's the point of doing anything at all? And this is a danger, again, because it forgets that God has given us a responsibility, right? It, It pretends that God hasn't asked us to care for the world. And so, in the end, it ignores God completely. Instead, the Bible gives us this principle, we care for the environment out of love for God. So what does that look like? Let's let's talk practically for a moment, putting this principle into action. Here's a small example, composting. Who thinks that by composting they're going to save the world? No, I was hoping no one put their hand up there. No, nobody thinks that by just composting they're going to save the world, do they? But it does care for the environment. It, it stops more and more waste going into landfill and, and in the end actually the compost is used to enrich the soil and, and so the soils become better. So even though it doesn't save the world, it's a good thing to do. Uh, it's an act of love to God who asks me to care for his creation. And you know what? Composting is so easy to do as well. Uh, I, the council's given me this lid, this bin with a green lid, and they say, just put out all your composting in there and we'll do the rest for you. Fantastic. Brilliant. You can check your local council's website, but I'm pretty sure most of the councils around here do that. Fantastic, isn't it? Just a simple way that we can love God by caring for his world. Another example, um, solar panels. Why do you put solar panels on your roof? If you ask most people, it's about money, right? The government rebates on the panels are good. It lowers your monthly bills, so we'll do it. Makes money sense. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's good to be wise about the way we use that money. But the Bible says there are things that are far more important than money. One of them is the love of God. So yeah, put solar panels on your roof, and it will make sense for your budget at times, but but even more, do it. Because you want to love God by caring for his world. And well, solar panels just means less coal is bent, which is a good thing for the world. I mean, you could extend this principle out into bigger organised group actions like being part of Clean Up Australia Day or asking the government to act and make laws in ways that care for the environment. And look, I get that this is a complex thing, right? And, and at times we're going to disagree on what is the right action to take. But, in, but, but the principle, the principle in caring for the environment, that's a good thing because it's an act of love for God doing what he's asked us to do. So God says, if you don't care for the environment, you're actually out of step with me. How do you reckon uh, we're going with this? 
on the whole. You probably have to say across the world, this, this, is, this is not all good news, is it? Just think about uh, water for a moment. In our oceans, there are what they call plastic garbage patches forming in multiple locations around the world. And while they're not those giant islands of plastic that we might envisage them, there's a lot of plastic out there. And it's only getting more and more and more. And they say that in the space of a decade, the amount of plastic in our oceans goes up by 10%. Or take the RLC, for example. This lies between uh, Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. It's not really a sea, it's actually just a lake. In fact, it used to be the fourth largest lake in the world. It had a huge fishing industry based off of it. In the 1960s, the uh, former Soviet Republic, the USSR, they started using the water from the RLC to irrigate some of the dry ground around it. Eventually, it declined to be 10% of its original size. It's destroyed the fishing industry and so it's brought all sorts of economic problems to the townships around, around the lake. But also, there's not as much water there, which has led to uh, a lot of public health problems that have, that have flowed, from, flowed on from that. Of course, this kind of thing is not just limited to the Soviets back then either. We've got our own problems here with the Murray-Darling Basin. God tells us to care for his world, but the environment is suffering. And amidst its suffering, the environment speaks. I want to take us to another part of the Bible now. This is a part of the Bible called Romans. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a letter. It's written by a guy named Paul. He was one of the early Christian leaders just after Jesus lived. And he was writing a letter to a church in, in Rome. And in it, he says that the environment speaks, or, or, or more rightly, the environment groans. It's groaning out because it's frustrated, it's decaying, it's suffering. But it's also got something profoundly, extremely profound to say to us. I mean, this is poetic. The environment doesn't really have a voice, but, but here's the point that it's making. If you don't care about God, you're out of step with the environment. Uh, I'll, I'll read this passage for us in a moment, but as we read, you'll notice it doesn't, never uses the word environment. It always talks about creation instead because it's reminding us that the environment was made by God. So here it is. It's Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verse 18 to 21. It's on the screen for you. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him, the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that for the first time, I thought... That's, that's very dense. Let, let's go back over that a bit slower. Let, so let's do that. Let's, let's, let's go a bit slower. Um, the start of verse 19 says that the environment, the creation is waiting. It's, it's eagerly expecting. It's like a kid at Christmas time just can't wait to get up the next morning and see what presents are there. But the environment isn't waiting for presents under a tree. It, we see in the second part of the verse what it's waiting for and we see there it's waiting for the children of God to be revealed. It's talking about a 
about a time to come in the future where it's the end of the world, a time when everyone will know who truly does belong to God, who his children are. We think, why? Why Why does the environment care about who the children of God are? Verse 20 gives us the reason. start of verse 20 says that the the creation, the environment has been frustrated. It's it's groaning, it's decaying, it's it's suffering. Why is that the case? Is it because we as humans haven't cared for it, that we're really just all environmental terrorists trudging from one eco-disaster to another? If we're not introducing cane toads that wipe out the native species, then we're knocking down trees to build a new estate and now there's nowhere for the native species to live. Is that why it's frustrated? Well, certainly we've made some mistakes, but there's something more to it as well. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 2, the passage that Jimmy read for us earlier on. Remember there, God made the world and he gave humanity responsibility to care for it. But the great problem is that humanity is, is out of step with God. Let me reread a part of that passage from Genesis 2, from verse 15. It says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God gave those very first people one thing to not do. And what did they do? They did it. They, they ate the fruit. And the issue here isn't so much in the eating it, as much as in, in deciding that God doesn't really matter. It's that human idea that we can get by on our own. We don't need to listen to God. We can figure out what's best for ourselves. We don't need a God here. It's a decision that they made then and a decision that people have kept making every day since then. And so now we are out of step with God. And this kind of decision actually has far-reaching consequences. It means that humanity are not just out of step with God, but we're out of step with each other as well. We now have a tendency to selfishness. I'm not saying that all times always we are selfish, but we have a tendency towards it and so we end up hurting one another. We end up grappling for power over one another. But not only are we out of step with God and out of step with each other, but we're also out of step with creation, out of step with the environment. We don't look after it like we should because of that same tendency towards selfishness. So we end up with plastic in the oceans, water masses that are not there anymore, species that have just been wiped out. That's what Romans 8 is talking about. It's why the environment is frustrated and groaning. But actually, Romans 8 says there's something deeper too. Back there, look at verse 20 again. Um, it says that the creation is subject to frustration. And it's God who does this. God does it. He works so that the environment gets caught up in humanity's problem. It's now out of whack. It doesn't work properly. And so it's kind of like a nervous system. It's sending jolts of pain to show that something is wrong. Something is not right here. The environment is suffering. But that's not the end of the story. Remember, the environment is waiting for something. There's hope. You see at the end of verse 20. But, but, but what's the hope that's looking forward to? You find it in verse 21. The hope is that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
again here, it's talking about the end of the world, that time when God's children are revealed. And at that time, just like just like the environment is caught up in humanity's problem, so here we see that the environment is caught up in humanity's liberation, in humanity's redemption and freedom. And so that's what the environment is looking forward to, a time of newness, of renewal, both for humanity and for the environment itself. A time when this decay and frustration and groaning are gone and done for because God is freeing everything from being out of whack. And so he's going to restore this creation, this environment, this world, back to how it was made to be. And so there is hope for this environment. Though it's suffering, there's hope. But that hope doesn't come from what humanity can do for it. The ultimate hope comes from what God says he will do for it. In 2007, Kevin Rudd, early 2007, Kevin Rudd was not yet the Prime Minister, but he gave uh, a speech, and perhaps some of you will remember this part of this speech. In it, he said that climate change is the... Does anyone remember? Climate change is the great moral challenge of our time. That's what he said. And he went on to say, if this is the great moral challenge for us, then we need to act. And he went on to talk about what he would do if his government got elected. And they did get elected and didn't do everything, but that's politics, right? And no doubt, this is a big challenge. It's one of many environmental challenges that our world faces. But the Bible would say it's not the great moral challenge. No, no, no. The great moral challenge is how we have treated God. And the Bible would go on to say that the enduring solution is not what we can do, but it's in what God promises to do, in the restoration that he promises to bring the world. Which doesn't mean we do nothing and just don't care about the environment. Remember that principle? We do care for the environment as an act of love toward God. See, politics will always push us to choose between two things. Either you're on this side or on that side. Either you care for the environment, which means you're going to sign up to all of these different things, or you don't really care and you're happy just to do nothing and let it waste away. It wants to push us to the two extremes, but the Bible doesn't want us to do that. The Bible wants us to hold two things together. The first thing it says is, God asks us to care for the world. Will you love him by doing that? Yet the Bible also says God is actually the one who brings liberation, who, who puts an end to the suffering that our environment is going through. So let me end then by asking uh, perhaps a more personal question. Have you heard what the environment is saying to you? Have you heard it? It's saying, if you really care what I've got to tell you, then you need to hear this. Get things right with God. Get things right with God because the ultimate hope for you and for this world is in what God will do. What does that mean to get things right with God? Well, 
Really, it means figuring out Jesus for yourself. In the Bible, God tells us that Jesus is the one who can put us right with him. In fact, if you go home and you read that whole chapter from Romans chapter 8, what you'll see is that Jesus really is the key for getting right with God. And if you want to figure out Jesus for yourself, there's a few things I think you could do. One is just talk to a friend who you came along with today. Ask them why they believe in Jesus. You could also maybe pick up a Bible. Um, If you're going to pick up a Bible, open it up to a book called Mark. Mark is just a a quick biography of Jesus' life. You'll really get to know what he's on about there. You could pick up this book. Uh, It's called God is Green. This is a book I read as I prepared for the talk. A really good thing about this book, it's only quite short, just about 70 pages, so you're not kind of setting yourself up to read a long time. But there's heaps in this book about Jesus and about the environment. But there's one thing I really want to commend to you today. If you want to figure out Jesus for yourself, come along to the Life Series. It runs over five Mondays, starting at 7.30. We're meeting in Zito Cafe in TTP. It uh, starts on the 8th of February. I'm going to be there. It's fantastic. This is one of the things I love most doing during the year. Uh, at life, it's sort of pretty relaxed. You know, we have some coffee we'll have some cake together but we're also going to dive into some pretty big things we're going to ask who is jesus what is he on about can i really trust him can i really believe it all there's a short talk there's a chance to discuss it with others you can ask your questions if you want maybe you are convinced that you know who jesus is and you want to come and check this out for yourself great brilliant but but why don't you come along what have you got to lose? Look, if you are interested, come and grab me later. Come and grab Sue later. We'll, 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 we'll get the full info to you. Or you can just rock up on the night too. Zito Cafe, TTP, 7.30, Monday the 8th. We'd love to have you there. Friends, our environment is suffering. It is. And as it suffers, it's, it's groaning. And it's groans, it's telling us something. But God asks us to care for him, to love him by caring for his world. The question is, how are we going with that? How are you going with that? But amidst its groans, the environment is calling on us to get things right with God. To figure out Jesus and get things right with God. So he can enjoy the freedom and liberation and redemption that comes only through God. Why don't you try and figure out with Jesus? Uh, figure out what you think about Jesus. Why not come along to life and do that with us? Why don't I end by, by praying for us in the world that we live in? Let me invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, thank you for this world, which is good and beautiful in so many ways. We can see the brokenness of it, and we're sorry for the part that we play in that. Help us to love you by caring for your world. We pray too, Father, for our world. We thank you that it is heading for a place of liberation and freedom and redemption that comes through you. We wanted to pray that for anyone here today who's not really sure about all this Jesus stuff, may you help them figure out Jesus and enjoy that freedom and redemption and liberation that's going to come at the end of the world, when you make this world back to what it's supposed to be. Encourage us with that hope, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.